Hi, happy Chinese New Year. <laughs> hey, happy Chinese New Year. I think what's a good start, right, is because um, uh, perhaps um, you can uh, introduce yourself as well. Tell, tell me why you are interested in esports, how you got into esports kind of thing. Um, so uh, my name is Weijian. Uh, I have always found video games very interesting. And since I started playing video games here and there, I also got to know about the competitive scene in video games. And I think I found that particularly more exciting and more interesting uh, when compared to just the video games itself. And this is where I kind of took it to the next level and put it to where my academic interest was in law. So that's kind of where I tried to put the two together and uh, try to learn and express myself in this way. Uh, I remember you mentioned to me that you wrote a thesis, right? Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, that was my final year paper, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it was my final year dissertation where I wrote this uh, piece on where I discussed about uh, copyright law in respect of video game cloning, uh, where I did a brief legal study on whether uh, games such as League of Legends when compared against things like Mobile Legends, uh, when how, how they are comparatively similar in many aspects and how whether there is this concept where certain aspects of a video game uh, should be copyrighted, uh, not just the characters or the map, but rather the gameplay itself or to a certain extent, how much control can an original developer have over copies and how can they control them. The problem, the problem arises when other developers use this as an opportunity to make money. Um, the, the easiest example I can give is when things like a really simple game, once in a, one many years ago, the game Flappy Bird became really popular. Everybody was having it on their phone and so on and so forth. Candy Crush is another one of them. Everybody had their, has it on their phone now. Just like how Candy Crush is something about a, a game where moving two different uh, two different icons to switch place to have a matching of three and four, it takes you back to even longer times where you had games like Bejeweled, where it was the same premise. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that context, it, it, there is similarities in those contexts, and um, they do appear similar, but they're they're unique in their own way. The issue of video game cloning, in particular, comes where certain games where developers have paid, put effort and make money and put effort, put time for, and certain developers effectively copy the same game and add ads into them and they generate revenue by ads. And that's where kind of this, the concept of video game cloning started becoming an issue. And if you just go into like the app store and things like that, you will see that there is a multitude and multitude of games effectively being the exact same. Um, whether there is legal enforceability or not, I find it very difficult because as much as um, movies and videos on YouTube are original in their own unique way, so are these games for some of them. But obviously, I have my reservations against those games which are 100% copying of the original game. I think those are the ones that have the biggest issues uh, that small-time developers are facing. Uh, PUBG uh, became very popular as a Battle Royale game. Right, I think, it's, uh, well, and, and it derived from like concepts of Hunger Games and and, and there's a Japan Japanese movie lah on 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 this this kind of concept as well where where it's a, a last man standing at a deserted island. And then uh, Fortnite, 
became super popular. Well, uh, who copy who, I'm not so sure. Lah, but I think PUBG came earlier, if I'm mistaken. Then Fortnite came a bit later. Pro- they're probably in development at about the same time. Um, so like in, in that sense, right? Um, do you see that there is uh, video game cloning in that sense? Or, 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 it's, or, or am I totally wrong in, 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 in assuming that way? I mean, in, in my opinion... In my opinion, I think it's totally fine because uh, Battle Royale, uh, genres like Battle Royale, uh, like MOBA, or they, those, in my opinion, cannot be copyrighted. Uh, so, so that's why I feel that like PUBG or Fortnite, those, those games are, are totally fine. Do you, do you see that as video game cloning? Uh? Um, that is kind of where the whole concept of where I derived my, my, my initial thought process on was that uh, what is a genre and what is the uniqueness of the game. Yeah. Uh, what you are saying is what you are saying is actually absolutely correct. And in fact, uh, the PUBG developers were probably on the same thought process as you when they initially launched the suit against uh, the developers of Fortnite back in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. So when they initially mm-hmm. launched that suit, oh no, sorry, it was probably 2017 when they mm-hmm. launched the suit. Mm-hmm. So when they brought that action against them, it was the first case that I, I that was my first LinkedIn post, in fact, that I still recall was that it was the first case that predominantly would and potentially address this issue in a Japanese court. Mm. It was going to be the first case in modern times that will address this issue. Uh, whether the idea expression, uh, whether this aspect of a battle royale game could be copyrighted to a certain extent. Um, but unfortunately, we'll never get an answer because they have dropped their suit. <laughs> uh, well, I think I- that's the answer there. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's probably an answer in itself, but I believe that um, as much as a job, like I, as I mentioned earlier, like videos and videos and movies have a certain genre. Um, developers fall into the creative aspect of what directors and producers do on in the film genre. Um, they take inspiration from other games to develop their own games. Well, you cannot copyright a genre. A genre is something that everybody uh, can use as an inspiration. Yeah, yeah. So as much as video games are difficult, uh, are difficult to control due to small developers and big developers, um, I don't think, at the end of the day, I think video game cloning used in the right way when you take inspiration from one another would generally develop the video game scene uh, more than the drawbacks where you have the very few people who use it as a money revenue uh, for a revenue generating Concept. Mm. I think you, you look for you look from that aspect that you know PUBG started this thing, and you look at the modern games today. You have uh, you know Call of Duty have popped on the battle royale concept with Warzone with their own uniqueness yeah. of you know yeah. getting certain aspects. You have Fortnite. You know even Minecraft themselves have their own version of a Hunger Games slash battle royale concept in, in Minecraft servers. Where oh, Minecraft, oh. Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they okay. have their own concept on like service do this kind of thing. So I, I can see the uniqueness of it and everybody has derived some form of benefit in, in growing from one another. And you know, it pushes developers to be relevant. Exactly. I think I think, I think, I think competition creates creativity also, I feel. Um, this LCS owners requesting lifting import restrictions, what is this about? Huh? Because I'm actually not, not aware. So uh, what happened is the League of Legends scenes in North America now is known as just the uh, League Championship Series. Uh, the league owners have recently requested for the import ban to be lifted. 
So what is the import ban? Is the import ban effectively, uh, it's a rule setting out that in a certain competitive team that can play, there is a limitation as to num as the, the number of import players that you can bring outside of America, outside of uh, North US. America, okay. including Canada. Yeah. But as of 2021, due to certain changes in the right game system, they have also included Australia into the mix. So uh, if you are a resident that is not from Australia, America or Canada, you are considered an import player. Okay. So this so applies to US teams? Uh, this applies mostly in the American teams and the European teams because these are the two leagues that generally bring in import players to play. What I understand from this is that th- does, this, does this restriction apply to Chinese teams or Korean teams as well? I am not too familiar not sure. with the Chinese and Korean teams, but I'm, I'm sure there is a, a form of it somewhere. Now, the reason why it's not generally relevant to, actually, especially the Korean teams, where it's generally not relevant to the Korean teams is because in leagues like um, America and Europe, these are the teams that take the Korean players out of Korea and bring them to America and Europe to play in their teams. Yeah, yeah. So in a few, in fact, if you go back a few years, if you go back a few years, especially in the EU scene and in the American scene, for example, Fnatic, uh, Fnatic in the EU LCS, then now the LEC, in 2015, they brought in two imports which have become very famous in your own right. So yeah. This was kind of the trend at, all, at a certain time where they, everyone was bringing in import players and, and things like that. So this is interesting to me in particular why the LCS is because um, if I'm not mistaken, the current position is that there can be only a limit of two players, uh, two players on the roster that can be from a non uh from from a non local team, or okay, at least two. not not from one of two slots. I think particularly it's because that um, if you're an American fan and you watch the LCS, you watch that kind of things, it will be an immediate excitement to see you know quality players from Korea from Europe come into America to play. But as much as uh, as much as the American scene is strong in terms of viewership in terms of support. There has been a lot of criticism, some may say, or some may, some may call it a fault, in that um, they call it, some call it the retirement, uh, the retirement league. Ah, okay. Of unpopular opinion, some people call it the retirement league. But the, the, the premise of it is that um, it is competitive team that no longer is as competitive. Or in other words, is that they are bringing in old players or uh, older players to come in and play uh, for their teams when realistically there's no American scene development. Of course, there has been uh, the LCS has done their own thing. They have the academy teams which are developing local talents as well. But I think when you remove the concept of an import ban, you know, you you open the doors to a lot more different possibilities in terms for the organizations to bring in new and interesting characters from the whole League of Legends scene or competitive scene. Uh, but it definitely, it goes against the concept of whether you are training or developing local talents or now Australian talents, American talents, Canadian talents to be very competitive in the global scene or, or you know, you're going to just do it for, to bring in the hype, the vibe uh, and to just develop that team in that way. I think, I think the restriction is there for good reasons. Uh, number one is that, uh, so that the lo- local scene can strive. And I think that's, that's probably what US needs. Huh? And I, if you follow football, 
the the football association also have similar uh, similar restrictions in that sense that that you must have at least x number of English players playing in the playing in your team. Uh, I, I I suppose it's it's really for good reasons uh, to to develop the local talent etc. I think I th- I think it's fine, but uh, these owners they they want this they want this restriction to be lifted so that they can get better players. Is that is that right? Well, okay, this is from the organizations themselves. So that I've, I have this article in front of me. Okay, uh, I found this on Gin GinX.tv, um, where where you know it, it listed down Team Liquid and Cloud9, mm-hmm. uh, one or two of the biggest organizations yep. with the LCS, you know, mm-hmm. and, and their owners. You know, what they said was that uh, the main problem that they are facing with North American teams, at least with this import rule, is in in their own words, is the prospective imports were nervous and worried about selling out. So remember how I mentioned earlier that some people have this opinion that going to America to play is considered a step back. It's yes. something, something like mm-hmm. I, I'm going to pre-retirement stage, and and so that sentiment because of the import they, they are saying what they are saying is that the sentiment that is attached with the import rule is that people who go there because there's only so few import slots mm-hmm. um, is that it is a retirement scene or they're selling out. They're afraid that it's a selling, the, the, the attachment that is being attached to it, that they feel it's a selling out point. So they believe that, you know, removing this barrier could change the perception of people coming to America to play and develop the scene. That is based on what I understand for what they want to put. So it's a, it's a retirement home for retiring players because the American scenes are generally considered weaker. Is that right? Yeah, that is that is unfortunately the opinion. They I didn't. Mean, I, the I, team that won. Yeah, they didn't do so well in worse, right? <laughs> well, the, if I'm not mistaken, and I think I can just do a quick check yeah. here, the team that won the LCS, the that won the American League last year, went zero and six in the <laughs> in in the group stage. If I'm not mistaken, let me just take a quick look. Yeah, so the 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 winning team. Ended up being zero and six in the group stage. So in, in who are they? Uh, who are they? Uh, TSM. A TSM. All right. Yeah. So I think that kind of built on the backlash. That kind of built on that that whole issue. So it didn't help them in that context, lah. But you know, over the years, there have been some really good American teams. You had I think Team Liquid, who was second place in an MS in a one of the mid-season tournaments. Uh, and mm-hmm. you have a couple of them going quite, doing quite well overall, beating the Korean teams here and there, beating some uh, Chinese teams here and there. But you're right in the sense that the sentiment that is being attached with coming to North America to play, at least for League of Legends, mm-hmm. has become a has become of like a retirement scene. Uh, in fact, you know, they're trying to change it, of course. Uh, recently, they have changed that. Cloud9, as I mentioned earlier, they have signed one of the most uh, prominent Western players uh, recently called uh, Perks. Okay. Uh, he has okay. this time with Cloud9. He's American? Season. No, he's Euro- he's, he was in uh, G2, one of the leading teams. Of okay, he's in G2. Okay. In Europe. Yeah, so they, he was in G2. Uh, he's a very prominent mid laner and he has moved on to Cloud9. So that's okay. interesting. Also, um, one of the 
top Chinese team's previous support, Swoda, I think that's his name, Swoda, has joined TSM as well this year in a North American scene. Um, so, you know, there's always that sentiment attached as to, you know, whether going to America is a setback or going to America is a step down. Uh, I think that is for the scene to develop with, you know, how they bring in the players, how they develop their academy teams, which I think it's probably where the development concept comes in. But it's going to be a long time before we see anything, I would say. I, I, I think what they need to identify, right, is who they, who they want to uh, represent. So, for example, if, if let's say um, Team Liquid or TSM, they sign all Chinese players, lah. Um, it's good they, they have a potential to win maybe, but I think they, they may not be able to draw uh, American crowds. Ah. I think may, probably, probably Americans won't support them because they don't even have a local, local uh, player. Uh, it's just an assumption. And, and I, I see uh, Liquid, TSM, they are generally American teams. Uh, huh. That again, you know, that's it. Though, those are only two people. There is one other, what, what I have here is there's another um, owner called Peter Dunn. No, not sorry. He is a coach, Peter Dunn, who has stated that, uh, you know, people who, are, who think there is no any talent are not doing scouting or talent development properly. Uh, we are not in the talent or the, the grassroots of the development scene. So we really aren't, I cannot really comment on that. But I think it's interesting to see that there's very differing views as to, you know, whether there is suitable or qualified talent in your own local regions or, you know, or, or are we departing from that? You know, are we departing yeah. from um, that to say that, you know, what we want now is we want our team to win and we'll do anything to win. And yeah, yeah. They're just going to... In an import player... Then they're going to bring an import player. So, they're going to buy success. I think that's what that is. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that is kind of where that sentiment between, you know, how LCS runs is, is it's a perception of what some people consider as LCS is that they're buying success. Uh, I think there's going to be, it's going to be an interesting season seeing how some teams have fielded uh, predominantly American teams. Uh, I think if you go and look at their lineups, you know, there is quite a few, there are a few teams we have, we have lined up, you know, very predominantly as American Canadian. And like I said earlier, you know, Australia has been considered as part of, you wouldn't take up an import slot. You're considered a normal player okay. there as well. So, you know, there are certain, there are certain teams which have, you know, fielded a very good wide scope of American teams. Mm, mm, and mm. it's going to be interesting to see how they do, you know, I think most notably is CLG, Dignitas, Mm, uh, mm. Immortals team is quite you know quite interesting as well. Golden Guardians again predominantly an American and Canadian team. So there are teams that are fielded fully American or at least majority American. Mm, um, mm, mm. But in this again this is very different from like scenes in the other regions like in Europe where where well import rules is the same. Definitely not many teams use it as much. Mm, uh, mm. If I'm not mistaken, I think. There's rarely an issue with European import teams, but again, you see that that is a different argument also because Europe has many countries. The scope and what is what amounts to a European scene is in many countries. So there's a lot of different uh, concepts and different arguments whether uh, Europeans import slots were not properly used or whether should the import slots be extended as well or are European players just better? An un- unpopular opinion, but I think the Americans only got themselves to blame because. 
Korean teams are doing so well. Chinese teams are doing so well. Uh, I mean, I, I believe it all, it's all grassroots. Um, how they're going to develop talent, how they find talent. I think one of the very key differences that they do is they actually embrace this, the very Amer- the American concept of you know, having a scouting grounds, having drafting. So yep. they invite like, college players. There's a college scene of League of Legends yeah. as well on top mm-hmm. of the academy team. So it's very similar to like an under-23 team. And then mm-hmm. you have an under-20 team. You have an, and so, so, so I think it's more of, in my opinion, it's just kind of making everything synonymous make everything flow better in terms of a transition you know like out in american football you need to have take three years um, as a college as a college football before you can qualify for the draft you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these kind of things will assist in you know developing the grassroots talents to bring people out look you know we're developing our own these kind of things in your opinion do you think the american teams focus more on content as opposed to uh, uh success in tournaments um, and probably that's why probably then, that's why they 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 are you know uh, a bit a bit a bit behind the Korean teams Chinese teams. I think they're still trying to find the right mix. I think that would be my honest opinion in mm, the sense mm. that um, when comparing to like Korean and China scene and the competitive timetable that they have and the content that they put out organizations in Korea have only started going, gone in, going into this concept of content creators with Genji yeah. bringing in a few ex-pro players mm-hmm, to start mm-hmm. building up their content creator scenes with uh, E1, the most famous competitive League of Legends team, only mm-hmm. in the past two years started bringing American influencers into their, under their brand name while America has is more established in that front. Mm-hmm. Um, that translated well into the competitive scene. I think it's still yet to be seen. There have been glimpses of hope for, for the North American fans. There have been glimpses of hope. Uh, but it's definitely finding the right mix, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, I think we got to move on. I think we spent a lot of time on this uh, import restriction. Uh, I mentioned here PCS as a competitive scene. Uh, what's, what's PCS? So PCS is what, uh, well, what the LCS or what the League of Legends scene is in the in America. This oh my is God, the I gotta like championship scene. <laughs> okay, I gotta like try to That's edit all this out. <laughs> if if there are people who's listening and me not knowing anything about League of Legends, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I really don't really I don't really follow LOL scene. I'm a Dota uh, fanatic. But so. I think that's, that's, that's... <laughs> But, but that's kind of where we, 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 we are going to be great to support one another in the sense that because you're coming from a Dota background and I'm coming from a League of Legends, yeah. at least <laughs> what we do is we can compare the competitive scenes in both of them and, and see how they develop. That's so, right. That's uh, right. Yeah, so the, so the what's going on there? Is effectively the, well, a lot of teams in the last year have in fact withdrawn or at least sold their spots away to um, other teams in favor of, uh, what do you call that? In favor of trying to get a place in China. Uh, I think one of the most notable, so for example, like if you look up the, the series or at least the, the season in 2021 the spring? 2020 summer season. Oh, uh, so 2020 first. Summer season. 2020 right. summer. You have teams like AHQ Sports you have teams like Machi Esports, both of this and J Team, both of this have uh, all made 
a scene, or at least have all made an impact on the global scene in terms of they have been, they were previously challenging for titles. They were not, um, they are not underdogs in any, they are underdogs, yes, but they are definitely not the under underdogs in yeah. respect, you know. They're definitely up there in terms of their skills and quality, you know. Yep. I think, I believe AHQ Esports is one of the ones that was what, and, and you know, back in season two of Worlds, it was a Taiwanese team who won, mm-hmm. I don't know if again, it was a Taiwanese team who won the championship all over mm-hmm. as well. So when you look at, when you compare that to what we have in 2021, you can realize that there is a lack of certain teams, at least, for example, AHQ Esports is no longer with us. Uh, why is that? So, to me, is so they have uh, what I understand from it is that they were they were they were attempting to get a Chinese uh, to get into the LPL. So I'm not too sure whether they have got in at the moment, but the idea is that they were in favor of selling their PCS spot in order to obtain uh, a spot in LPL. Okay, okay. Whether I see, that I see to, to, right. because the Chinese scene is more competitive, is yeah. you know to a certain extent strong, more lucrative. Right? So. Yes, definitely more lucrative yeah. and things like that. So, I mean, a bit of background history. Um, the Pacific Championship Series only came last year, back in 2020. Okay. Before that, they had their own series. They had their own uh, series. Uh, I don't know what the series name is called. Uh, but yeah, so effectively, they had previously uh, played in a different series where LMS, it was called the LMS. They were competitive. Mm-hmm. They were... They were, you know, giving some certain spots. They were challenging stuff. Uh, but that changed a lot when um, when the PCS started because now you're involving teams who never really qualified for the world's group stage. You're talking about teams who were possibly a tier lower than what they used to represent. And, and now you're mixing them in, in, the, in this scene. Well, on paper, it sounded really interesting when I first heard about it because to me, it felt as if that this we bring bringing in these Taiwan talents and bringing in these players, they are definitely going to elevate uh, the competitive scene in, in in well at least in this region. But surprisingly, as much as all things said and done, it felt as if though like even when you look at the teams, it's predominantly dominated by Taiwanese players as a rule yeah. of thumb. Um, when you break down the different teams as well, there's a Taiwanese player in almost every single team. Or Chinese players, or or you know, that sort of thing. So it's definitely interesting as to what the level of competitiveness is in the PCS today. I think I I want to see where it develops. To I'm excited for it. Um, whether it will definitely be a step down, whether it's going to be lacking in the competitive scene, it remains yet to be seen. Uh, but they're showing at Worlds is definitely not what I expected the last year. The problem is there's not much coverage or at least there's not much assessment of how PCS players play. So I've been following Dota and I and I know that the scene here is huge, right? In in Southeast Asia. In the, the reason why these teams do not want to participate in this PCS is because of coverage. I think number one. I think number two is probably it's not as lucrative. Maybe it's not worth it, right? And Riot Games, I, I, I suppose I suppose as Riot Games, right, they, they'll be looking at their balance sheet, right? And then they say, yeah, I'm actually making a lot of money at, at, in China. I'm making a lot of money in US, right? So I'm fo- I'm focusing all my resources to develop the scene there. And and maybe they try they want to build this PCS as a way to try to encourage or promote uh League of Legends. 
uh, well, it's only two years in running, lah. So, so of course, it needs time. But it, it, I see that's the reason. Maybe is that that is that the reason why uh, um, there's a lack of competition? Oh, it, it's actually very interesting that you brought that up because while that is definitely true, it must be interesting to note also that Riot Games does not actually have. Uh, what what we call a right office or right control system here? Yeah, it's a Garena, right? Yeah. So what we play, at least for Malaysia and Singapore, to my knowledge, I'm not sure about the other countries, but what we play through Malaysia and Singapore is through Garena. So Gar, you know, it's there's mm. a there's a there's an agreement somewhere yeah. there that where yeah. right is not directly involved, and, yeah. and you will see yeah. that when you go into the launcher of a, of a, a Malaysian. Arena, let League of Legends launcher, and you go to the launcher of American one, or at least the Europe one. It's very different. Okay, you have a lot <laughs> of different activities going on. You have certain celebrations that you will not have in the original one. So it's interesting you brought that up, and that has been what some people were saying could be an issue, whether Riot Games not having direct control of the scene in scene in this region contributes to that. Um, not sure. It's very hard to say because back in Korea, if I'm not mistaken, Riot Games didn't take control until a few years back as well. So before that, it was also something similar to Garena where it was under a different... Yeah. At least the competitive scene, competitive scene was under somebody else. Uh, and then later on, only you know, Riot Games came and said, okay, now we're going to set up a Riot office, Riot Korea and, and, and control the competitive scene there. So it's going to definitely be interesting um, whether that plays an impact on... The, the, the physical gaming aspect, whether it plays an effect on the competitive scene, I think you're mostly right in saying that it is not as popular in this region. The coverage is definitely not as much when compared to other games, especially Dota, um, where it's more popular, when it's more popular among, among our peers. So I think definitely that it's going to be a contributing factor in, in setting this up. But I think as a Malaysian, you still kind of want to see one day hopefully <laughs> one Malaysian player somehow pops into Worlds and you're going to support the guy. Oh, I'm seeing in this P- PCS 2021 spring, there are only three Malaysians. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and that includes the Malaysian team. Yeah, and that includes the Malaysian team. Uh, that's, uh, not, and, sorry, not even three, three players. It's two players and one coach. So, oh, actually, 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 what this brings is a nice segue to the other topic that we want to talk about, which, which is uh, WoW Rift. Yeah. Right? So, hmm. so this is my, this is my uh, hypothesis, right? Uh, in Southeast Asia, okay. it's super dominated by mobile games, right? Uh, the Mobile Legends and uh, Clash Royale in some sense also is a little bit popular here. And Riot Games actually uh, came out with a, a beta to, to test, test them out in the Asian market. And, and I, suppose, I suppose that's where they want to focus their, their attention on, right? In, in terms of the Southeast Asian market, right? I think Riot Games are super duper smart people already. They, they really, I think they really understand the market very well. Uh, they focus their eggs, uh, League of Legends eggs in, in US, in Korea, China. And then I think they're going to focus at Wild, uh, uh, Wild Rift in Southeast Asia, especially Indonesia. I agree with that. I think 
that's actually very true in terms of where I see it going as well. Because in fact, I think Malaysia and Singapore were one of the, I think the second or first or second batch where we got the beta open yeah. to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we right. Were, we were part of the first or second second batch to have the beta open to us. Yeah, we had the guinea pigs. Good to have to attention. Yeah. yeah, we had the guinea pigs. Yeah. Uh, we had the guinea pigs, absolutely. And yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, the right market considering, you know, how big Mobile Legends is is here it still is big and you have games I think Mobile Legends has more if I'm not mistaken Mobile Legends has more local tournaments than League of Legends ever had yeah yeah yeah. I, I think so Still too have. So, so what do you think do you think Wild Rift can replace Mobile Legends as the dominating mobile game in, in Southeast Asia oh that's a very difficult question I think it really depends I gotta put you on the spot on... right now I would think I would say it depends on who they get. As of now, I believe like Wild Rift is getting some attention because several pro players or ex-pro League of Legends players that I've noticed have jumped on the jump of the I think one previous player from uh Kuala Lumpur Hunters, League of Legends team. Mm-hmm. Uh he he's called Orange. I've seen him going on Wild Rift quite a bit as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Streaming there and things like that. I think at the end of the day it depends on who who they get as the influencers for their brand. Uh, Mobile Legends, I don't really know much of that. I know that they have there's a lot of competition locally. While Riot Games either needs to establish a competitive scene here, well, well then again, Wild Rift hasn't established any competitive scene. So it'll be interesting to see whether they choose you know, Southeast Asia as the region to launch a competitive scene under Riot Games. Because between Wild Rift and League of Legends, back to that as well, Wild Rift is controlled solely by right games yeah league yeah. of legends isn't at least in southeast asia yeah yeah so you know it'd be interesting to see whether they will launch something to that similar effect whether they're going to launch a competitive team of wild drift starting from here yeah and actually that, actually i think my prediction is that that uh oh sorry not prediction my guess right is that riot games um purposefully do not want to let go of uh, uh control of wild rift in Southeast Asia because I think they know that that's, this is the market right here. Whereas I think for League of Legends, uh, it's, it's, they're, they're, I think they, they got their hands very busy in other regions that they are like, oh, 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 we got a Southeast Asia market or oh, might as well just license it out for some free money or something. <laughs> but, but I think for Wild Rift, I think, they, I think for Wild Rift, they got uh, get their hands dirty and then um, try to create a scene. And let's see, let's see how it goes. Uh, you got anything else to 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 say about uh, Wild Rift and mobile gaming? No, not at the moment. No, not at the moment. But I think there are definitely something to bring up more consistently. I think we realize yeah. that mobile gaming is definitely a big scene here. So yeah. things like PUBG Mobile, the competitive scene there, it's big. Things like Mobile Legends, competitive scene is growing as well. Correct. You you see you see in Malaysia at least what I observe in Malaysia, right? Pub PUBG is not the popular one. PUBG Mobile is the more popular one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, mobile, and then I Mobile agree. Legends, right? They are, the, they are the more popular ones. They are the ones with, with more tournaments uh, going on because, mm. and, and, it's so, and it's so easy to organize, really. Um, they, they, they don't need to prepare any computers. They just prepare charges for you guys and then they can create a tournament yeah. just like that, right? And, and it's, it's a matter of convenience for the... For, for for participants. Um maybe just 
yeah. one just just very quickly talk about two things that that are coming up. Singapore has been given the rights to host a uh, Dota 2 major. What what I know is that because of COVID, uh, they've come up something. Uh, they come up with a different format, which is I think similar to how LOL runs their Riot runs their their season. Um, in that mm-hmm. in that each region, each region will have its uh, league tables, upper right. division and lower division. So in the upper division, uh, at the end of the season, right. top two or top three of each region gets qualified to a Dota two major. Um, the right. bottom, the bottom two of the upper division gets relegated to the lower division, and then the mm-hmm. the, the winners of the lower divisions gets promoted. So so it's really right. like so it's really like a sports league lah. They have uh majors twice a a calendar year and in in the lead up to the international which is the biggest um, tournament for Dota. So they so they just announced um a few days ago that Singapore will be organizing a Dota 2 major for the first time in a year since COVID started when 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 i when i when i saw this news right i was re- really taken aback honestly because my, i think i think in malaysia we see thousands of cases covid cases every day i really didn't imagine that they're going to hold they're going to organize an offline where every every single player will come together to to play at one venue i really i honestly did did not see this coming um but i suppose singapore has got their uh, cases uh, monitored. Uh, I I want to take a view. Um, what do you think? Um, so so you see worlds doing relatively well, right? In in that they they managed to organize worlds in Shanghai, and I suppose um, um, all safety precautions are have been taken care of. Are doing well. What 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 do you think? Do you think do you think Singapore can do a similar job? Um. I think it'd definitely be interesting. Uh, whether they'll do a good job, whether they'll do a great job, I think it's definitely doable. As you can see, you know, things like Worlds has done it. Um, things like a few other, I think, even if you want to consider slightly more smaller scale, like how the NBA themselves built a bubble in, a, in I think, Disney World. And then they had, yeah. so basically what happened there was that, you know, that the whole living bubble, they all played the tournaments there. Yeah. So I think definitely is is a, a doable scene. But I will say that some of the challenges that they may face is not rather um, whether they can execute it properly or whether they can carry it out properly. Because I think Singapore has their own ways to make sure that it's done properly and well and good. Um, it's where they face the challenge that certain teams may not be interested to travel at all. So oh. that's kind of what happened back in our huh. world, where two Vietnamese teams were... They, did, they, didn't, they didn't attend Worlds because they said that due to COVID restrictions and the quarantine and everything, when they come back, when they go there, wasn't sure whether they could come back to the country, they opted to just not make Worlds because wow. that was a high risk for them. Seriously? Wow. Yeah. So it was uh, two Vietnamese teams who, uh, yeah, EVOS, EVOS Esports and uh, GAM Esports both uh, were actually quite, you know, were potentially going up. They were up there in terms of you know where they were placed, okay. know, competitive enough as one of the smaller regions. But they opted out of worlds as a precaution due to coronavirus. So 
you know, at the end of the day, I think it's what the teams will perceive and how they will feel, you know, attending these kind of events. Wow. Of course, Singapore government will give them the confidence and things like that. But there is definitely, I think, a lot of things that there needs to be set up for, for a tournament where it involves people coming in from other countries. You know, they have to, they have to respect the pre. Uh, you know, like in, in previous years, you know, you have tournaments where people just show up maybe two weeks, uh, about a week before or five days before the tournament. Yeah. Now they have to think about complying with the yeah. regulations of look. If I need to start playing on this date, I need to be out of the quarantine room by yeah. this date. So I need to travel here this amount of days before I go through three COVID tests before I can play offline. That's so, right. Yeah, that's right. Is offline, so, you know, there's a lot of requirements on that front from the professional players to the organization staff that they're bringing to the people in as the organizers themselves, you know. Uh, it, it's happening soon. So has the yeah. teams been announced? Uh, no, so so they are co- they are still competing. They are still in the midst of the season right. to decide which teams are to uh, qualify. So, yeah. Well, actually, I never thought of that 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 way. That 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 some certain teams may actually opt out of attending the major because it's 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 really if if you opt out. So so there are, there are consequences to that. If you opt out, two things two things will be bad for you. Number one, you don't get points. So so you need to accumulate certain. X number of points to qualify for the international, which is every Dota player's dream. That that's your end goal right there. So you don't get points from for not attending, and at the same time you're not gonna get your prize money lah, which is, which is something I I, I suppose is devastating in itself. Yeah, it's very important for, for for players as well. So so well, in 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 favor of of their safety and health. because uh, leaks the worst still happen, whereas. Last year, our last year our international our international work was cancelled. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, very yeah, different. Correct. There's actually one more topic, but uh, I think I'll just leave it to for the next time because it's it's something that I really want to get in depth on uh, Basically, uh, it's basically North right. Esports uh um closing down their their esports. Right. Yeah. So. Mm, I'll probably leave this to 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 the next time lah because it's it's something that I really want to dive deep and something I really um have um have a strong thought about how to operate and run an esports business. Uh, so so it's quite sad to see uh, esports team gets getting wind up. 